Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be talking about health IT topics we want to start and maybe some that we want to stop talking about. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 15 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. I think it's safe to say we're not going to stop talking. So yeah, that I think that would be almost impossible, John. <laughs> especially, especially since we've been locked up in our uh, homes. Well, at least I have uh, for eighteen months. You're starting to get <laughs> well, out. Well, you there weren't now. allowed to talk, right? Yeah, I'm but only now allowed that we're to... up to three podcasts. We don't have a choice, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. No, but yeah, there's like a lot of stuff that's uh, happening in healthcare, and especially in health IT that I think you and I would love to stop talking about and stop writing about, um, but it keeps happening. <laughs> like Groundhog Day a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, let's take example of one of them, uh, ransomware. I think you and I would love to stop talking about ransomware, but of course, that's not going to happen anytime real soon, is it? Yeah, I mean, I, I always talk to people and I'm like, the world would be such a better place if people were just honest. <laughs> and <laughs> ransomware is a great example. I mean, what a miserable, miserable thing, right? When every healthcare organization that's gone through it knows that, you know, having your system just frozen basically is just disgusting and awful. And yeah, I wish we didn't have to ever talk about it again. I don't, I mean, you have to be a pretty despicable person to do ransomware on healthcare, I think. Yeah, especially because it is life and death and you're doing it to make a buck, right? You're putting patients in jeopardy, putting kids in jeopardy in some cases. I, I, it is pretty despicable. I mean, it's also, you know, the way, you know, the, the way the how smart they're getting in terms of social engineering in, in order to get these ransomwares into certain systems, right? Like, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to say it, like, I can't blame some people for clicking that link. Right. As much as we, we teach sure. people not to. Right. But like they're really sophisticated now. So imagine how so bad good. imagine how bad that employee feels. Right. Like if they were the one that clicked it. I mean, it, you know what I mean? Like what a horrible, yeah. horrible implication uh, for that as well. So, yeah, I mean, I wish we could stop talking about it for sure. Uh, unfortunately, I think I don't think we that's can. what's really annoying is that many cases they were trying to help. They probably got an email requesting them to do something and they were trying to help someone. And in the process, they infect the network with ransomware. And I think that's the other annoying thing with ransomware is it's never going to end. Like, you know, like I think one day we won't have fax machines, right? We may not have pagers, right? I mean, you know, and we know this is true because punch cards don't exist in healthcare anymore, right? And they used to. So it's like, but ransomware, it's just not going to disappear. Like we could solve some of our communication problems and really improve them to the point that it's beautiful. We could even solve some of the, you know, documentation requirements that are needed in the EHR or whatever, but ransomware, we're never going to solve that. I mean, it's, we, we've solved some of the breaches on the perimeter. So I guess we can get to a, a more satisfactory place, but there's always that risk. And that's what's terrible about it. Yeah, I mean, I think 
you know, first of all, I don't think we can stop talking about it because I think we need to do a better job protecting and hardening our systems and doing some of the basics that maybe we've ignored in healthcare for a little bit too long. But you're right. I mean, we're never going to, we're on, we're on that mouse wheel, right? We're never going to get off this. We're just going to have to keep up with it. Uh, and, and they're just going to keep getting more sophisticated, unfortunately. Yeah. So let's throw out another one. Hmm. One that I would love to stop talking about is price transparency. Uh, I just, it's amazing. All the cartoons that come out about healthcare that where these like, okay, you know, like they, you compare it to a restaurant said, Oh, thanks for coming to the restaurant. Here's your food. And we'll send you a bill three months later telling you how much you're going to pay and how much you're responsible for and how much your employer is going to cover or whatever. <laughs> like if we were, would we do that in a restaurant? No, it's ridiculous. Right. Or if you, Oh, I'm going to go on a trip and Hey, by the way, I'll, I'll bill you three months later and let you know what it costs. And yet we do that in healthcare unfortunately it's a problem so complex and hard to solve but man i would love to just know what the price is for something when i go and get healthcare done yeah and i think you know i think when we talk about price transparency obviously what we're talking about is some of the more acute uh, more well-defined cases right like where i know you know what's wrong with me there's a clear diagnosis there's a clear procedure i think for emergency care people can agree okay maybe you don't know what that is you know, ahead of time, right? Because it's emergency and urgent care. But you're right. I mean, it is one of the few industries where you have no idea as the patient what it's going to cost you before you go in, not even a clue of relatively the ballpark of what it's going to cost you. Um, and so I think we're, we're a very far away from that being a decision point, but even just knowing so you can prepare for it, right, uh, is just something that I wish we could stop talking about. And I know, you know, with all the regulations and things coming through, it's still going to be a topic and it, and it needs to be addressed. I just wish we didn't have to talk about it, I think is what you and I are both saying. Well, and the problem is, can it be addressed? <laughs> when you look at the charge master for a hospital or health system, I mean, it takes like a master's degree to understand how it is. And then it takes a doctorate to get an understanding of how that actually applies to you versus someone else. And so unless we simplify the system of reimbursement that we have, health, you know, price transparency just won't happen. So, uh, you know, I, I would love to just stop talking about it and know what the price is. Uh, you know, part of me looks at other countries, you know, when you look at it and say, okay, well, if in Germany, they're paying this much for this drug, why aren't we <laughs> like, why do we need to go reinvent the wheel? Uh, you know, it's certainly a more complex discussion than that, but uh, you know, Hey, let's start there. Let's start with what everyone else is paying the same exact drug or same exact, whatever, you know, device that's being charged one place. Let's uh, see what the benchmarks are and let's do that here. And we would save a lot of money because that's the reality. And we've talked about this before. If we don't figure out the price structure and do something with it, it doesn't matter what system we have. It's going to be terrible. Well, another one of my things that I wish we could stop talking about, John, is uh, the need for patient to, patients to access data or patient access to data. Um, again, this falls in the category of seriously, like it's 2021 and we still are talking about this. Uh, and there's still debate as to whether patients even want this or need this. I mean, I really can't understand the debate part, let alone the fact that we don't have this yet. 
Well, I've been playing both sides of the fence a bit here because I think there are a couple angles. I agree with you a thousand percent that patients should have access to the data and that data should be made available to them. But I think it is a very separate question to ask, do patients want access to the data? And the reality is 98% of them or some large number like that don't care. (laughs) You know, I, I, I put myself in that boat. Like, okay, let's say I got access to my full longitudinal record. Then what? So I, th- I think that that's the problem for most patients. But yeah, as far as uh, doctors saying, no, we shouldn't give access to, uh, you know, to patients, to the data that's their data about them. Uh, yeah, that's a sad thing that needs to just die. <laughs> yeah, I just wish we could stop talking about it. And related to that, of course, is, you know, part of the original reason why patients wanted access to the data is because they were the the source of interoperability, right? Like in order to transfer data from one person, one physician I was seeing to another specialist, it was the patient that was doing it. And so having access to the data was important because I, you know, they were the conduit. Now, if we solve interoperability, which, you know, I'm sure we will by, you know, this time next year, uh, right, John, (laughs) you know, we, we don't have to worry about this. Right. But, but I think, I think, um, so I think that's part of the reason, right. Is because, you know, patients need to take that data and tell, retell the story to their next specialist that they're seeing, especially when you have complex cases. And you're right. I mean, I think the majority of people probably don't really want access to their data. I think there's some, there's a subset, myself included, that has comfort in saying, well, if I ever needed it, I know I can get it. I don't have that comfort today if I ever, so I'd like to have that. But then there is those patients where it is vital that they have access to their data, especially those that are dealing with complex uh, conditions, rare diseases, of course, cancer and and other conditions as well. So uh, totally, you know, we shouldn't be debating this anymore, right? We should be really working towards it. And uh, again, just not happening yet. I think related to that and one that I would love to stop talking about is, is HIPAA. (laughs) <laughs> but not HIPAA in general. I actually think HIPAA is a pretty good law, but I'm talking about, I want to stop talking about people using HIPAA to not do something and using HIPAA as an excuse to not share data. HIPAA, when it's invoked 99% of the time is really saying, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it, <laughs> almost never when they say, oh, that's a HIPAA violation that they're really trying to protect the patient. And so you know, I, of course, HIPAA even says portability, and it's been so corrupted that I'm so sick of hearing people say, sorry, we can't do that because of HIPAA. It's like, <laughs> come on, do we look stupid, right? And if you follow those uh, Twitter accounts that find all the people tweeting and invoking HIPAA incorrectly, uh, you'll see how ridiculous it's gotten. But yeah, if, if, if I, if I, I, I think they need a new law, not with, with almost no changes, but all it needs to be called is data sharing instead of HIPAA. And then you're like, oh, okay, because of data sharing, I'm allowed to do it. Almost kind of like what they did with, uh, was it MIPS became promoting yeah. interoperability. It's like HIPAA needs a rebrand, that's for sure. But like the law, and then, you know, there's some changes to the law. That's a topic for another day. But, you know, for the most part, it just needs a rebrand. So people stop claiming HIPAA when it, HIPAA is not a barrier. That either means you're too lazy or too whatever that you don't want to go and do the work to actually make it happen for people. And, and yeah, I, anyway, I, 
there there's some valid reasons that HIPAA should stop stuff, but in most of the time, that's not what they're doing. Yeah, I agree. I, I think first of all, I think we should stop talking about HIPAA with, with two Ps. Um, that's one. <laughs> that's a pet peeve of many people. But but HIPAA in general, I agree uh, with you. We need to stop using it as an excuse for sure. We need to stop talking about it as the reason for not doing something. We also need to really. I mean, it's probably one of the most misunderstood laws. Uh, in the U.S., I mean, people invoke it for everything. I can't even like apparently asking you if you've been vaccinated or asking you whether you went to go get an MRI is a violation of someone's HIPAA rights. And it's like, actually, yeah, that's right. not a violation. It, well, it's have you okay. seen how they're corrupting it on Twitter? They're <laughs> like, "Uh oh, uh, Colin has his socks on camera, so that's a HIPAA violation." So on Twitter, they're taking it to extreme. <laughs> they're like. Oh, I told you that I brushed my teeth on this morning. That's a HIPAA violation. <laughs> so they're like, <laughs> they're like, yeah. yeah, we can claim anything as a HIPAA. exactly. It's not a, it's not, a, it's not against HIPAA to ask. It's and and it's it's you're right equally not to answer, right? <laughs> like like and and really, if you're the one answering, that HIPAA doesn't even apply because you're the patient, right? Like if you choose to disclose, there's no HIPAA violation. You've chosen to disclose it, and that's fine, right? And that's. Plus that's it it's so even apply because they're not providers and they're not insurance yes. companies, which is all it applies to. So correct, yeah, correct, yeah. Sad. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't apply to airlines or restaurants or theme parks and, and all these kinds of places. But at any rate, that is something I would definitely love to stop talking about. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lynn and Colin Hung. Today we're talking about health IT topics that we want to start and stop talking about. And be sure to rock out with Ed Marks in his weekly podcast, Digital Voices with Ed Marks, featuring a new industry leader in the health and life sciences spaces, space every week. A topic-centered approach, rich with expert knowledge, guaranteed to keep you informed on industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. A perfect podcast for your ride to work. Or maybe as you cook dinner at night. That's a good one too these days. Ed delivers insightful content through casual conversations. Digital Voices with Ed Marks is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search digital spelled D-G-T-L voices and you're good to go. I can just imagine now you know, wearing an apron, rocking out to Ed Marks, stirring the spaghetti sauce. That's exactly what I like to do at night is have a little Ed Marks playing in the background while I, I uh, do the pasta. That's right. <laughs> See, how can we both default it to pasta, John? I mean, <laughs> what else would you have for dinner? Come on. Yeah. Edward, too, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Now we start a new a tw Twitter rumor. Ed Marks likes pasta. <laughs> <laughs> if he does it, I'm going to unfollow him. But that's a different story. <laughs> All right. Well, we spent the first bit talking, uh, John, about things we want to start stop talking about. Let's switch gears now and talk about things we want to start talking about. Or really, what this means is topics that we aren't that aren't really getting the attention that is needed. And the one for me, strangely, is patient identifier, the unified patient identifier. Um, first of all, we're banned from talking about it. Apparently, uh -oh. we're going to be um, penalized to get the FCC after us. <laughs> And I really can't understand this. Like we really need to talk, talk about it because I think on one hand, I, at the time the law was created or the rule was created, yes, a patient identifier may have make it, made it very easy for people to get very, very sensitive information about an individual. 
and you, maybe there was there was obviously a lot of concern about it getting into the wrong hands, right? Your employer getting a hold of this, an insurance company seeing everything. But the reality is, in the world we live in today, you can literally go on Facebook and get all the same information, right? You can go to LexisNexis and pay to get all this information, right? Like the information's already out there, and sure, there's no unified identifier across you know, binding it all together, but there are companies that exist that have done this for people. So I think the whole privacy concerns that maybe created this law are no longer valid. And we need to start talking about this because what it's preventing is all the benefits of having a unique patient identifier for each person. Yeah, it reminds me of a time I was working in this startup community and uh, one of the ladies in the startup community, I had a bunch of ideas, people would throw ideas in and you'd vote on the best ideas and things. And her idea was an application. uh, I forget what she called it, but it was basically like stalking someone that you're dating, because you wanted to know all the information. And she's like, we're going to do it anyway. We're going to go to their Facebook, their Insta. She's like, why don't we just create an app to do that for you? And to your point, and you know, this was a decade ago or more, all of that information was there. And she's like, I can find out all about you because I want to know if you're safe, if I'm going to date you. And so like the reality is so much of our information is out there. It's pretty crazy to think about, you know, I've seen it from addresses that I've been at phone numbers, other information like that. When you go to some of those public sources, you're like, yeah, the information is out there, but I would take it another way too. It's interesting that you're, doing this from Canada, which has a health identifier, along with the majority of countries out there, at least developed countries, have a unique patient identifier that's national. And if that was such a security concern, then why haven't we heard all of these like breaches of the national patient identifier in these other countries? Have we ever seen one story from another country where they're like, oh, they accessed my national patient identifier and abused me in ways that, you know, like it seems like the breaches happen here in the U.S. more than anywhere else. And everywhere else has a national patient identifier. Like, it, yeah, it's, it's such a ridiculous thing that, you know, m- that the government is not allowed to even research it, let alone talk about it. I heard a former government official talking about it. He just wanted to put together a panel to talk about some things that were like, kind of related to that and he got his hand slapped for doing so and it's just sad yeah it, i have I mean, it, this would make for an interesting research pa- paper or maybe maybe an investigative journalism article but like what was the history behind this right like what lobby group is lobbying against this uh you know because you know, I, I can't I can't imagine like who it is that's against having a national patient identifier right because if you're an insurance company, surely you would want, in fact, you probably have one for your own members. You have a member ID, right? And if you're a national, if it's, if it's a national ID anyways, I, I can't see who it is that would want this. Um, plus it does make for, you know, detecting fraud a little bit easier. Maybe that's the group that's lobbying against this, but, but <laughs> the fraudsters know, are lobbying. The fraudsters are, <laughs> I don't know, do, they, do they even have lobby groups? But anyway, like, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, here in Canada, we don't quite have a national one, but we have provincial ones that do apply nationally. And, and you're right. We don't have any more or less breaches um, than I think any other, or than, than the U S I would certainly say. And there isn't this sort of concern that the government or anybody else is going to misuse that number. No different than if, you know, someone misusing your social insurance or a social security number, 
right? Like it's the same thing. So anyway, I, I just wish that we can talk about it. Right. I think that's sort of, that's why I have it on my list is like, guys, I don't think it should be illegal to talk about it. Right. Let's just talk about it. Implementing it is a whole other story, right? Like if you don't want to implement it, that's fine. We should at least talk about it so we can talk about the benefits. Yeah. I mean, how obstructionist is it that you can't even talk about it? That illustrates there's something more going on in that lobby, I think, than, than you know, because if you can't talk about it and discover, oh, you know what, this is a good thing. To your point, it's a really hard thing to roll out, you know, so it, you, but it's not going to happen if you don't talk about it and understand the consequences of not having one. So, yeah, I'm with you there. But let's throw out another one. Uh, this is one that I wish was talked about a lot more and not just talked about. So maybe I need to push this beyond talked about and actually implemented and that's healthcare APIs. I wish we heard every healthcare organization going to their EHR vendor, going to the HIE vendor, going to all of their vendors and saying, I want you to have an API into all of the data so I can do whatever I want with my data. <laughs> and I would love for provider organizations to really do a hard stance on that and say, hey, I need this ability to be able to do this so that I can achieve the innovation that I need to because I do not want my innovation to be dependent on you, EHR vendor, or you, whoever else. I want to, sure, I'm going to leverage whatever innovation you have as an EHR vendor and whatever you do, but I think provider organizations understand and need to understand, and we need to talk a lot more about what could be done if there were better APIs into the data to be able to allow them to get the edge cases because there's no way an EHR vendor can do all of the edge cases that are needed for a healthcare organization. So I want to be talking about these healthcare APIs and I want these provider organizations to be bugging the heck out of their vendors to say, give me access to my data so I can keep innovating. Uh, no, I, I think you're making some valid points there. I, I don't think we're talking about the need for healthcare APIs enough. Uh, and I think, you know, for related reason to what you're saying, the speed of innovation gets stymied by the lack of this, right? So let's forget about talking about interoperability and all those kinds of things. We're just talking about access to the data you, you already got in your systems. Just making that more readily available allows for much more innovation to flow. It, it allows for much happier customers if I'm an EHR uh, vendor. You would think there would be more discussion around this, but you're right. We haven't heard a lot. Now, obviously, we've come through covid um, maybe this would have become a bigger topic of discussion had we not had the pandemic because we there was a lot of the rules around information blocking and those kinds of things. But at any rate, I really do hope that this is something we start talking about in 2022 uh, because you're right, it is so it is so needed. Well, and I take a look at WordPress. So WordPress is the open source software that you know we run our site on, and it runs I, I, I forget a massive portion of the internet. Like sixty percent of websites are on WordPress or something. And WordPress early on built a function where you could literally export every piece of data from your site, from your blog, and you could export it in a way, and then people can move it wherever they want. And when you hear Matt Mullenweg, the founder of WordPress, said, why did you do that? He said, because if we do a good job, you'll never want to use it. And if we're doing a bad job, you should have that ability to be able to leave. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it, there's something about the confidence there 
to say, hey, if we're not doing a good job in certain areas, then you should have the power to be able to go and do something else. And that will hold us accountable as a vendor, as a community, to be able to bring things that are actually valuable to you and your organization. And so, I mean, you know, I think that's where I learned it first was just the power of making it available doesn't mean people will actually use it. I mean, I've never left WordPress after 16 years of doing it, but I've used those export functions a number of times when I needed that data for testing, I needed that data for whatever else. So there's a lot of reasons why it's beneficial. And just because you make it available doesn't mean someone's going to go build a new EHR interface on top of it. If your interface is good enough, they won't. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Hey, last one uh, before we... uh close off this uh, episode, John, employers, can we please start talking about whether employers should be part of the healthcare ecosystem at all? And specifically on the insurance side. This is a hard one because I, you know, because it's so embedded in our culture and, uh, you know, but what's interesting is I, I don't know a single employer that wants to stay in the insurance business, <laughs> you know, as far as offering insurance to their employees. Uh, so I think they'd be happy to get out of it. But, uh, you know, I think that we're still suffering from that culture of our employer gave us insurance. We have to pay a small copay and we get health care. And that culture is so pervasive. So I want to talk about what it really costs, what it's costing the employer and now what it's costing the patient. So, you know, those are the conversations I really want to have. And I think we may, if we have those conversations in an honest way, we may be like, why is the employer paying at all? This doesn't make sense. But, uh, you know, I'll throw this one out there too, along with it. You know, let's talk about whether this should be for profit at all. Right. I mean, I think that's an interesting question as well. And don't get me wrong. I, I'm all for the for-profit and, and what that allows it to become. But healthcare is just different. Uh, when you start hearing phrases like nobody asks questions when granny's on the gurney, it's like that's when you realize, yeah, we need to rethink how this works from a profitability standpoint uh, because it, it's, it's headed in a bad direction. Yeah. And for me, I think uh, you know, not having a similar, not growing in that, growing up in that similar system and not having that culture. What, what is a little bit strange for me is, uh, again, you know, I think back in, in the, back in the day, you did go work for a company, but now like, what's the percentage of people that work for themselves or that are used, or that are part of the gig economy and making a great living and yet they don't have access to insurance, right. Or, or they have to buy into pool, like they're already buying into pools. Right. And, and so that, could that not be a model for how things going, are going forward? Because there, the employer is not paying anything. It's the individual that's paying everything, except they're paying into a, a, into a, a common risk pool. So I think the good news is there are models that work. Uh, and I think, John, to your point, if we really took time to investigate the flow of costs and the flow of risk, a lot of questions are going to be asked, why would we have this outlier of an employer, this entity being part of the healthcare equation? Yeah. Well, and I'm not sure the government's the right answer either. That's the other problem. Because uh, when it was, when have we ever converted to government and paid less for something? But uh, <laughs> I think the, the, the bigger thing here is insurance should be about the adverse events. It shouldn't be about covering all the day to day. And it gets really complex uh, for sure. But uh, 
Yeah. I mean, the role of the employer, I think it's going to be a massive conversation. We've seen so many startups raising hundreds of millions of dollars now on the employer side because it's become such an issue for them. And I'll be interested to see how that space really evolves. Well, John, we come to the end of another episode. And uh, thanks to all of you who tuned in to listen to health, this episode of Healthcare IT Today. You can find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung, along with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening and have a great week.